ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and everybody else in between. We're back here again on the Big Man Bias. I'm Ashton Jean Lewis, chaser for the Houston. Well, I'll be chasing, but not for that team. For reasons this upcoming season, if there is one. Um, yeah, for a team that has vast majority of its players in Houston, but is not called the Houston Cosmos. Um, we are back here for another episode. And I've actually had the great privilege of being on the same field and being just in absolute awe of this player and what she's been up to and what she's done. She came down here casually for breakfast taco, which if you're the uninitiated is the first tournament uh, technically of the entire Quidditch season. Most of the time it's an unofficial tournament. So a lot of people bring huge numbers of players to this tournament. A lot of colleges around the Southwest region bring every kid that they can possibly get into a uniform to see who's going to be on what team. It's where a lot of guys or a lot of guys and gals and non-binary folks uh, earn their spot on varsity. So it's like a big deal, but also like really chill at the same time supposedly, but uh, Leanne Dillman, ladies and gentlemen, yes, that one, the legendary Leanne Dillman joining us here for the Big Man Bias. How you doing, Leanne? I'm good. Thanks for having me. No doubt. Of course, uh, Ed, we're, we're getting to the point where, and I don't know if anybody's been able to pick up on the theme of this show, like there's just not a lot of dudes that get to come on here, especially like not dudes of color, uh, not dudes that are white. Uh, and it's not mm-hmm. to be prejudicial. I've already been... Uh, open and honest about what this podcast is centered around. It's about getting a voice to the people who feel like they don't have their voices heard in Quidditch at all. Uh, and I did not know there was such a vast majority of people, mainly because I've never cared about having a voice in Quidditch. I didn't know it was important to so many people, but as time goes on, I've been in the sport for like four years and it seems like it is massively important that people, uh, certain groups of people who are you know, a part of this community, a part of this sport, a big part of this sport, uh, make sure that it is understood what they are doing and what they feel like the sport can do to improve should be out there for people to be able to understand. So, uh, Leanne, we, we got a, we got a conversation to have. There's something that happened to you that, that angers me to my very soul because it kind of contradicts the very essence of sports. And we'll get to that at the end of the podcast towards the end of it because it's a harsh question and I think the answer is pretty bad and uh, not a great one but it is very important that people understand that it did happen and if you are uh, if you're a person that's aware of Quidditch or players outside of the region you know exactly what I'm talking about (laughs) but we'll start off here at the top like we always do Leanne where are you from Uh, I'm from Long Island New York a little tiny town called Oyster Bay Oyster Bay. So is it like famous for like oyster season or like what's the deal? Yeah. Okay. So, so it's actually famous for, famous for oysters. Uh, Teddy Roosevelt summer house was there and Billy Joel hangs around. So if you like Billy Joel, we have Billy Joel and he's kind of a, a jerk. So you probably don't want to run into him. He's kind of a jerk. Wow. Who would have thought? I mean, I, I get my thing about being famous. Like you've been famous for such a long period of time. Either you come a, become accustomed to it or you strive to be treated like a regular human being because being a celebrity and being a famous person for being a musical mastermind doesn't mean that people are entitled to like your entire life. Um, but I will say Teddy Roosevelt, one of the most hardcore presidents of all time, uh, was a six foot four linebacker. If you are an NFL fan and you know who Derek King is, Teddy Roosevelt was like the original Derek King played at Michigan. I believe it was. And, uh, was just like cracking dude skulls in when they wore like real leather heads. You should look that up. <laughs> Also more famous for some 
other things, but the thing yeah. I remember about him is he's a giant man who played football back in the day when small people played football. Um, small, unathletic. That's a fun fact. Yeah, and, and it's just really funny to picture because now I try and think about like what that would be in modern times, and it's definitely like either Derrick Henry or if you're like mm-hmm. deep, deep into stuff, it's that photo of Andy Reid when he goes to the uh, punk kick pass competition, and they had to go get an actual jersey from a St. Louis Rams player to give to Andy Reid to wear because he was that much larger than everybody else. Um, everybody's favorite walrus in the NFL and and Super Bowl champion and hardcore enough that he wore black Air Force Ones to the Super Bowl, which if yeah. I had known beforehand, I would have bet my entire house on the Kansas City Chiefs <laughs> winning the Super Bowl if anybody gets any of that. But I say that, of course, rambling, but Oyster Bay. Oyster Bay, yeah. How, how, what... I have to know what was the name of your high school and what was the mascot? Uh, Oyster Bay high school. Um, and it was the Bayman, which was our, our history teacher in a raincoat and a cardboard or yeah, a raincoat and a cardboard boat that he would come to pep rally. That was a time. I love it so much. I love it. I really do. Um, was school spirit high for the Bayman? No, no, no. Okay. Terrible football team. Who would have known? So, like, New York's one of those places where, like, you know, no football player ever comes out of, despite unless you're, like, Dwayne Haskins Jr. for Washington, and we all see how his career is going right now. But, uh, like, New York just doesn't have football players come out, and I think it has a lot to do with, like, the number of months you can spend training outdoors, mm-hmm. which is very limited, unless you want to be, like, super hardcore. Because the weird thing about football and, like, other sports, like, especially outdoor sports, apparently like scouts recruit players have like they value players who have played in the outdoors far more often, like in cold weather temperatures and bad weather conditions, because that's when all the important games and sports happen during the winter. So like you have to be accustomed to be, you have to be able to play really well during that. Who would have thought? Um, there's a lot of Quidditch players that fall into that. There's a lot of Quidditch players that fall into that category <laughs> in certain situations. Like when um, we played Kansas City and they came down during the summer. Kansas City Stampede, by the way, for MLQ. Mm-hmm. They came down during the summer and it was like one of the nicest days of the entire summer. And they were dying on the field. They were dying. And everybody on the Legends bench was just kind of like, we practice and it's been like 104 outside and humid. So, like, it was, like, overcast with, like, an actual breeze, and the sun was out, and it was, like, 98 degrees, and they were just dead. And I was like, hmm, can't relate. We yeah. was like, it's just, we were like, it's actually nice outside today. Look at that. Um, but anyway, and sorry, Leanne. If you ever want to, no, it's okay. If you ever want to come to Boston, sometimes we had to shovel the fields to get the ice off to be able to have our practices, so. I, I talked to uh, Missy Hanley earlier today because there was a video of, the Giants practicing outdoors because Joe Judge, who's the coach of the Giants, is like doing a lot of campy, like try hard stuff, but it's actually working. Mm-hmm. So nobody can really question it. Uh, they're playing a lot better. He like didn't let them have their names on their jersey during training camp because they had to earn the right to be a New York Giant and all this <laughs> kind of stuff like that. And they were practicing outside because their upcoming game is like, you know, in the cold. They play in New York. There's no getting around that. There's you can heat the field. You can have as many heaters on the sideline. But at some point, you got to hit somebody when it's cold outside. And if you've ever done that, you know, it hurts a little bit more. That's why my uncle always taught me be the person who hits first, not who gets hit, because getting yeah. hit hurts a lot more than the person who gets hit, which I don't think there's any signs behind. But I think there, <laughs> you know, it's a good mentality to have. Of like, it's you mental, don't, yeah. Yeah, uh, but he, they were like dancing in the snow, and I was like, nope, 
And I sent it to I sent it to Missy, and I was like, "Nope, not me." And you know, she lives down here in she lives here in Austin, Texas, and everything now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but she was just like, "Yeah, I am from New York, and I hate the cold." And I was like, "Oh, I mean, same. I'm not from New York, but I hate the cold for sure." All right. <laughs> so we uh, we get we'll we'll get back to the Bayman at some point. Your time sure. amongst yeah. the Bayman, being a Bayman uh, at, at at one point during here, but we'll start here. Um, What's your family like? Are you an only child? How many kids you, I mean, how many brothers and sisters you got? Not kids yeah. you have. <laughs> I've got one brother. He's a year older than me. Oh, okay. Did I you try and wrangle him into playing at some point? <laughs> I did. So he, he played rugby. Um, I think he came to a practice once when I was in college. Um, but he was a wrestler in high school and he did cross country. And then um, I asked him if he wanted to play and he like gave it a shot, but he also like, um, rugby was very much his scene and he like played rugby outside of college and stuff. Yeah. So I don't think he was planning on going to, he would have been a perfect fit for Quidditch because the where rugby is all about not being averse to contact. A lot of people in Quidditch are very averse to getting here. Mm-hmm. Oh, so. I know. <laughs> yeah. I can still work on him. Someday. A bear shark. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Someday. Um, and then rugby in the cold too. God, man, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. Moving on. So you got one brother. You grow up. Mm-hmm. What sports do you play like as a kid, or do you play sports at all? Um, yeah, I uh, played soccer throughout high school. I was on like a pretty mediocre team. Like it was a travel league that we would go in and out of divisions. Um, I did cross country and track, and then because I went to a super white school, um, I did fencing. And then one year when I was like kind of moody, I did badminton instead of track. And that was like a waste of a season. But I did fencing for all four years of high school. Wow. A fencing yeah. background for a Quidditch player. This show gets stranger and stranger every episode, doesn't yeah. it? For anybody who's, well, we've had a bit, we had a person who didn't play any sport in high school and then went on to be like a pretty good Quidditch player. Played like he was in the band, uh, one of my teammates, mm-hmm. Gary Taylor. Um, but yeah, fencing as a background, that's like all reflexes, flexibility, and timing, right? Like, which, you know, yeah. I mean, timing is like massively important in any sport that you play. Um, Absolutely. But also, like, how do you do it as like a, like a, Okay, so were you tall fencing as a kid? Because I know, the only one thing I know about fencers is like they're usually like really tall people because of the arm length advantage that comes with it. So what was the deal so, for you? So there's three different weapons. When you're an epee, being tall is an advantage. That's like where you get to like poke the entire right. body. Um, foils where you just poke the chest. And then saber is like where you just like slash and hit people. So that's where I fit in because I was just like, oh, you run at people and hit them really quickly um so you didn't need to be tall you just like needed to be um quick and aggressive which like was me in high school i feel like those two skills translate at a certain point during your your athletic career we'll talk about that a little bit later but four years of fencing who would have thought it do they so how cool did the letterman patch look for a fencer on the jacket (laughs) i don't even know if we had that i just I'm, I'm just saying if it's two swords crossing and you have that on your on your letterman patch like that goes hard like that goes hardcore for sure cool. yeah so four years of fencing that's the only sport you play when you're in your high school time right no i did cross country and track as well gotcha. and then when i went to college i did um cross country and quidditch but i was like i felt bad because my coach really liked me for cross country but i was like oh there's a quidditch match instead i think i'm gonna go there right <laughs> So uh, take me back to your senior year of high, uh, senior year of high school. Everybody usually is making you know key decisions about like what's going to happen, right? And you get mm-hmm. to the point where 
you're like, hey, man, I got to pick a school to go to and all this kind of jazz. Where did you end up and how did you come to that conclusion of where you were going to go? Um, I ended up at Emerson College, small little liberal arts school that has a, a lot of Quidditch players come out of. Um, Including but, our last guest, Lindsay Simpson. So, Yes, 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 yes. Um, I, um, it honestly came down to financial aid and my two best friends had gone there. Um, Sold. My dad, yeah. <laughs> easy my dad worked at a different university and they had a a tuition exchange program where like if i went to certain schools i could get tuition um for free and i was like oh like boston's a nice city my dad was like please don't go to upstate new york there's no culture there (laughs) cross those schools off my list okay there you go no i uh, i had a teammate one of my best teammates that like, it's still one of my really good friends to this day, Autumn MacArthur. She went to Boston University, and uh, they told her that she was not good enough to play Quidditch for them. And then she joined the Cosmos, and pull- she had a season where she pulled 70% of the snitches for us to win. So, Dang. yeah. So, and then she also made the the League City Legends as well. So, I think she pulled, like, a couple in MLQ. So, mm-hmm. I always, I always like, I have an irrational hatred towards Boston university because of them trying to tell my friend that she wasn't good enough. And then haha Mm -hmm. jokes on you. She's actually too good for you guys. (laughs) Um, anyway, uh, you, so you go to Emerson and we've heard this, we've heard a bunch of, we heard Lindsay's perspective on it because she was on, uh, the B team or the junior varsity team that was there as well. And Mm -hmm. she talked about the point, the, the point where it got to, that they no longer could have the B team and the varsity team. And they had to merge the two teams together. Uh, what time, like what was, what was it like for you when you were at Emerson? Oh, I'm sorry. I, I got to ask one of the most important questions about this entire no podcast. Um, how did they trick you into playing Quidditch? <laughs> um, so I think like one of the, maybe one of the reasons Emerson gets like um, athletic people to show up is because um there are no intramural sports and there's no club sports. So like you can do a D three sport or you have to like organize your own activity. So I used to like try and like get people to play um, Frisbee or, or football on the common, which is like our, our public park, which is across the street from the school. Um, But I heard that there was Quidditch and I was like, Oh, wouldn't it be so funny to like be a troll and like be a snitch and like, haha, go home and tell people that I, I, I'm the snitch. Um, so I showed up and I didn't know what was happening and they like put me in as a seeker and I was like, I'm so confused. Um, and then it was apparently the combine. So then I got put on a team and I was like, I, I might as well go to practice long winded story, but I went to practice. I was like, wait, this is like kind of athletic and there's no other like athletic outlet for me to have because Emerson had like such limited options. Um, and at the time I was on the housing team and they had like, we had practices like weekly and we had games weekly. And I was like, Oh, like this feels like an extension of soccer or like sports. And this is fun. And then at Emerson, my first few years, it was very much like the social scene. Like people wouldn't go to like frat parties. They would go to like house league parties for certain houses. Right. So like, <laughs> so yeah. And then from there I just stuck with it. Yeah. Uh, I have to ask, this is the second time it's been mentioned on this podcast. I have to know what was the combine like? Like, what did they make you guys do at the combine? Because that's a concept that like, you know, they do it like high level, like they do it at the high school level all the time. They do it at the pro level for professional sports in terms of evaluation. What did they have you doing at the Emerson Quidditch combine? Oh my, I don't. So 
I don't remember my freshman year all that well because I think I was just like pretending to be the seeker. So I just like ran around the common. But I think we had them do like, you know, the three man weave. We had them like see if they could like throw stuff. We like looked at if they were athletic, um, did some like scrimmages and stuff. And then the house league captains would just meet after and like draft that everyone got drafted onto a team. Nice. So. Okay. Cool. Cool. I didn't know so if they were, like, were like, no, we were just like, are you athletic? Are you like fun? Some, some teams were like, does this person seem fun? Those fun fun assessment name. is very important. Like that's, yeah. that's the backbone of any successful Quidditch team. Like, let's be honest. If you're not fun, like what are you even doing here? You know what I mean? So yeah. uh, I get exactly. that. So you're, you're playing here. You play, um, you play like a t- you play college Quidditch all the way to uh, all the way until you graduate question about like, what was your best year? Like for you personally at Emerson? Oh gosh. Um, so, you know, sophomore year was really fun. I was on, I was on the, the Boston riot, which was the B team. Um, and we, we would just like have like team sleepovers all the time where you just like go to our friend's apartment, all of us, and just, um, get a whole case of wine, give everyone like a bottle of wine. It, obviously like in retrospect as like a, a 27 year old, like hmm, maybe like that wasn't functional, but at the time it was just like super fun. Um, it was like at the time where I had friends who were living off campus, but I still lived in the dorms so I could like go out and stay with my friends, but I could also like go back. So yeah, it was a good time. Sophomore year. There you go. You just learn. everybody just learned the secret of team retention there, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> wine and sleepovers. That's the secret. <laughs> Write that down. Yeah. Write that down on your notepads, guys. We're, we're trying to slowly come up with, like, the highly effective ways to recruit and keep people on your team. So sleepovers and wine, like, very simple, but also, like, paramount to, like, the success of any team, I believe, in my oh, opinion. Yeah. Um, mo- moving on, you, you have your best season going on. And, of course, I have to ask the polar opposite. What was your worst season at Emerson when you were there? Worst season. Mm, this is not fun. Worst season. Um, are, are we talking about Quidditch or just like for my mental health? Quidditch, right? Yeah, we could talk about it. like for you personally, what was your worst season? Um, and sometimes, you know, Quidditch helps with the mental health situation. Sometimes it contributes to the bad part of it as well. So, yeah, just uh, whatever whatever is like your um, like your worst season, like in terms of for you personally. Yeah, I feel like senior year was kind of a mess. Like, I don't think I was my best self. I was very, like, into peer pressure. And um, uh, I was so I was captaining the team. We had just, like, the year before gone to the Final Four. So there was, like, a lot of pressure. And we, like, lost a lot of people. And I don't know. I like, for me, captaining a team where, like, the vibe is that, like, a lot of people want to win feels, like, stressful to me. So, yeah, and of course, like any role, yeah, I definitely had like a crew, but no, I was just saying like the the pressure that comes with it, um, being a leader, especially at like the college level, is like pretty intense because it's like for some reason you've been chosen to be in charge of like the lives of a lot of other people and like a lot of aspects of it and try to figure out how to get everybody on the same page. Like everybody wants to win, but like at the heart of it all, everybody wants to be the reason that you win. 
And that's a yeah. uh, that's a beast in and of itself to work uh, work with. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, wow, just like a lot of like self awareness that you're like I was into peer pressure and it was not fun for me or anyone else. So I respect that. I respect the honesty. <laughs> yeah, not a good time, but you know we grow, we get better. So that's a rough one. So your final year in college was your worst season for you personally, and um, everything you you everybody moves on at some point. Everybody has to graduate, and then of course you had to make the big decision for you personally, like whether you're going to continue to play Quidditch or if you were going to join up and play for um, play for a club team. Uh, what were you, like at the time? I don't know if you remembered or not, but like what what at the time were your options in terms of like the club stuff and everything that goes along with it. Um, I actually didn't have any options because I didn't make QCB. Gotcha. There you go. Uh, so what, so what happened? Like what, what was the next move after that? Um, so then, so this was the summer after I'd played on the Titans. Um, so then I was really good friends with Kyle cause Kyle Gian had played on the Titans and he was like, Oh, like come play for NYU. Like I'm playing whatever. Um, so I played with them and then um, something like happened in the club and then they like were like, oh, like actually like you can't play with like this college team. Um, and then Emerson was like, oh, like do you want to play for us? And I was like, yeah, whatever. I still want to play. Um, so I ended up playing for Emerson, which like is like a very was a bad decision. I think like there's a lot of different reasons why it like didn't work out. Um, but at the time I was like, oh, I can hang out with like one of my friends was on the team. I was like, I can just go on vacation. Like we'll drink some wine. Then we'll like go play. Um, but obviously like that stunted Emerson's growth in a lot of ways. I think it was like unhealthy and unproductive. And I think like a lot of the people on the team, myself included justified it by being like, Oh, like I helped them qualify for, mm-hmm. for nationals by mm-hmm. like doing well at regionals. So like, so is that okay? Like realistically, probably not. But at the time it was like, it was, easy to do and yeah, using the results um, to justify everything that happened in between to get the results exactly and that happens yeah. in sports all the time like that's not like of a, course yeah um and and it's yeah once again a lot of a lot of honesty there like admitting like yeah it wasn't a good idea um and no. so after the whole emerson thing goes down and wow they, like you you talk about your effect on the team because like you are like a high quality elite level beater. So it's like really hard to sit there and try and argue why you shouldn't play on any team that you want to play on. Right. So that's, that's a tough one. And then eventually, you know, your time at Emerson ends and you end up Mm -hmm. taking that next step. What was it? And like how, like when you couldn't figure out, like you talked about like not making QCB and then being on Emerson and realizing it wasn't like a good idea or anything like that. And like you said, you didn't feel like you had any options um, mm-hmm. because of like what happened at the trial. Like, what do you do? Like, how are you feeling mentally about like Quidditch as a whole? Like, did you contemplate just being like, I guess I'm done playing this sport because the only places available wouldn't let me play. <laughs> uh, well, so, so it's funny. Cause after the summer on the Titans, me and Colleen, who um, used to play in, uh, she played at Hofstra, and I think she played um, in Texas for a little bit. But we we had like jokingly in the car once talked about like starting a team um, that was like uh, you know the Strong Island Shark Bears or whatever, or, or it was like this own team that was like based on fun and like whatever. But then like it was a lot of work because my first year out of college, I was in this like very time intensive, like um, tutoring program. Uh, So then I think I like 
that year was good for me and bad as like anyone who like is out of college for the first year knows you just like everything so much changes. And I think for me, like thinking about like, is Quidditch bringing me joy? I think like it felt like from a recreational league standpoint, yes. And I was like, Oh, like this, like it's nice to go to a tournament and just be able to play. Um, and, um, but obviously I was like, I was very jaded and I was like, I don't know if like I'm going to make a team. Cause I was in Boston then for the next summer because, um, that following year I was starting my first year teaching. So I was like, what would I even make the, the night riders? But, um, after QCB had won the world cup or one cup or maybe at a tournament in March before nationals, um, Kyle was like, Hey, like, I heard you like are trying to start a team. Like, can I get in on that? And I was like, Oh my God, you're so legit. I would love for you to like, you're like, I, I think Kyle's a great coach. He's like probably one of my favorite players to ever play with. Um, I was like, yeah. Um, I don't know if I actually answered your question, but in summation, I was like, people were like, Oh, like Kyle had approached me about starting a team. And I was like, if we can get like seven people who can go to tournaments, like that's all I really want out of Quidditch. So yes. And then um, that summer I tried out for the Boston Knight Riders and, so the team that you're like dancing around like you made and everything like that um, is one of like the fan favorites, I would believe, in the Quidditch world when it's all said and done. <laughs> Has easily like the dopest logo, but the uh, the Bosnian yeah. Bear Sharks get born yeah. in a – and it's an article that if you're listening to this podcast, you can go read it uh, on your own. But it is a uh, article written about how you guys came up with the concept for the team in a car. Uh, and yeah. you're just like, yes, we've made this team now and boom, here we are. Yeah. You guys, uh, take the, you know, go out there, go up against the juggernaut that is QCB on a regular basis. And I remember like two years ago when we were in round rock, uh, I called a couple of your games at nationals and it was like when Teddy Costa was there, uh, didn't know who he was at the time because I mm-hmm. didn't pay attention to like Northeast stuff. And then eventually, yeah. ironically enough, Teddy Costa becomes my teammate, uh, yeah. that, uh, a couple years later and and you get a chance to see guys like David Fox who some people know is like the Dread Fox from Emerson one of your old Mm -hmm. teammates I'm assuming uh, you guys were at the same time yeah Uh, and you guys uh, and then Tyler Trudeau was on your team as well so like uh, The old the old gang gets back together to take on yeah. um, the evil empire of Quidditch. I'm kidding. Um, QC Boston was a juggernaut back in the day. They were like one of the few teams that could stand up to Texas Cavalry on a regular basis. And I just right. remember everybody like super pumped for you guys to play against <laughs> QC Boston the entire time. And yeah. because they just felt like you guys were going to pull, they thought you guys were going to pull like a major upset against them. And you were like one of the only teams that ever gave them the business when you first started out and everything like that. And then eventually mm-hmm. it gets to the time you guys play each other. Uh, what did that feel like for you personally? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. Oh man. That was, that was I, that honestly might be one of my favorite uh, season slash tournaments was the Bosnia's first year because um, the very first day I had flight issues, so I wasn't at the tournament. Yeah. <laughs> and Bosnia lost. We lost to Cal the very first game. And I was like, guys, like, you have to make it to day two because if I go and I don't get to play, I'm going to be so mad at everyone. Right, 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 right. Um, but, yeah, so I just remember we, like, we had to play Maryland and then we had to play Lone Star and if we beat Lone Star, we go play QCB. And I just remember before our Lone Star game, I was like passing out all the Bosnia flags. I was like, all right, everyone, it's our last game. Have a good time. Like, By the way, I, I have one of those. Uh, yes, as you should. Yeah. Um, but so so it was like, I mean, 
did just being completely honest did not expect for us to beat lone star was like hey everyone like let's have a good time like we made it this far everyone's probably shocked um and then um then we we won that was awesome and then we played against qcb and i think they're like um you know like we had taken a, a decent amount of players from qcb they had come and joined bosnia so i think right. there was like this like yeah so but in, in our heads we were like it's the the emerson and nyu team kind of merging together and just like having a good time and hanging out um so it was cool i mean i, I in that game similarly i was like all right i think like you know made it to the eight. we're good <laughs> so, no doubt uh, yeah but it, it, it was cool like i don't think any of us like had expected it i think like we were just all trying to like hang and have fun so hang and have fun and, and dominate and, and tackle some nerds as they like to say in Quidditch. So exactly. you got, you guys kill it. You guys take the whole, you guys take, you know, club, the club scene by storm and everybody's expecting, you know, like this, another team, to st- another team to be able to stand up, especially the QC Boston in that area in general. And then all these other wild things happen. Like revolution starts like a couple years later. And then now yeah. the Boston pandas are like a thing uh, for everything right. like that. And and that's all Brent stuff from, you know, yeah. and, and, and maybe at some point I'll talk to somebody on QC Boston, but as a guy from Texas, you know, Mm-hmm. They've always been the number one problem for everybody in Texas. You know what I mean? Right. Uh, they're the right. only other team that like anybody at the club level like focuses on that's outside of the Southwest. And you know that's a bad decision because there's a lot of other high quality club teams at the oh, sure. at the white uh, across the board or whatever. But you know they're the only teams that like shit post about Texas. Like when they won yeah. MLQ, <laughs> they turned they wrote a map where Texas was the new Boston. So you know. <laughs> Maybe, uh, but by the way, hilarious. Whoever put that together, I just uh, and by the way, I could te- I could definitely tell the person who posted it was not the person who made the meme. It was mm-hmm. somebody who had the enough bravery to be like, I'm gonna put my name on this. I'm gonna put like yeah. like whatever happens. Somebody's I'm gonna put my name exactly. on this. Exactly. Uh, but yeah. So going back to you, talk, you mentioned it before. Um, you mentioned it before with like QC, um, uh, like QC Boston and the Night Riders and everything like that. Um, Leanne, what has your experience been like for you as a woman in Quidditch, like as a whole? Like, would you say it's positive? Would you say it's negative? What could be better? What is like, what is something that through all your years of playing, because you played longer than me, you played, uh, what, eight years? Yeah, about, yeah. Eight yeah, years. A lot. What are right. some of the consistent flaws? that you see in the sport, like community wise, whether it be from like interactions with people across genders or across like non-conforming situations or mm-hmm. like the prejudices that bleed themselves and show themselves so obviously yeah. in the sport. Yeah. Um, so I think um, one, I was very lucky in my senior year to be a coach of predominantly new beaters. I don't think I would have been as confident or as like, willing to like be assertive in my point of view if I didn't have younger players who like needed to learn. Um, I think, um, I mean, I think it's interesting being like as, as a, a woman player, I have gone to like so many like fantasy tournaments or something where like, you know, they're like trying to take the ball from me or they're like, Oh, and I'm like, Nah, I think I think I'm gonna hold on to it. Um, I think at higher levels, I, I just think like there's so much um, extra doubt of like, oh, like if I mess up, are they gonna put a boy in my place? 
Um, if I, if I'm not playing well, is, is someone else going to take my position? And I think, especially for me, like I, my senior year of college, like every team we played against, like was running two male. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how rude? Like, what, what do you mean? <laughs> right, right, right. Um, because I think that like female beaters are, or I'm, I'm just speaking from my own personal experiences. Like as a female beater, I think like males and females have different skill sets. And I think like, uh, I have a joke with like a few of our beaters where like, yes, you, you see a male beater, they make the most incredible beat of their life. And everyone's like hyping them up. And I'm like, no, don't cheer that on. Cause like two plays later, that ball is like out so far away they overthrew it because they were like overconfident they're like i'm the best player ever and it's just like i i just i'm like i call that male beater syndrome i'm like oh you got too cocky and you were like i'm gonna throw the ball away and i think you see that less maybe because like this is i feel like this is a true statement like girls are taught to pass boys are taught to score you know like you, you just like i think the dynamics are different so i think um i think something i really struggled with when i was like going into like different club scenes or like different MLQ teams was like this idea of like, Oh, like the female beater is the back beater. And I'm like, what does that mean? Or like, okay. Like um, if we're going up on offense, like give the ball to your partner. And I'm like my male partner. And I think like that has, you know, like happened throughout my playing career. And I'm someone who I, who I would, I think a lot of people are like, Oh, like Leanne knows what she's talking about, but yet still it's like, Oh, give the ball to them. And I'm like, Hey, okay. And I think like, there's just that like level of doubt that you have where you're like, Oh, I shouldn't be the one throwing the ball. Mm. Um, there's nothing like us, like where your own team creates doubt in your skill level. That is, a, that is a horrible place to be. Um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, no, I, and I mean, I feel like a lot of people, uh, including myself, even if I do it inadvertently, I've been guilty of that at times for sure. Uh, just like not even giving people a chance to fail. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. everybody deserves yes. a chance to fail uh, and, and a chance to go out there and even like prove to you that they can't do it because like that's oppression in and of itself, right? Like not even yeah. giving a person a chance to go and try yeah. to do something. But um, yeah, and it's really strange hearing that come from you, a person who like people watch you play and they know what the deal is like very quickly. They're like, oh, like she's got it. She's got the juice like <laughs> more than like a lot of these people that you're telling her that she should defer to, which is funny to me. Um, but yeah, Leanne, and, and maybe this is the time where I tell you, uh, tell everybody my first experience playing with you, uh, at breakfast mm-hmm. taco, we played against university. We played against UT. You like, mm-hmm. just like, Hey, can I play with you guys? And like, sure. Yeah. And I think we ran two female beater or two non-male beater, uh, going up on offense one time. And you had the entire university of Texas, um, beaters and chasers corralled by the hoops because you were repeatedly and like infinitely beating them because you had access to like two balls and they had access to none. And every time they tried to get one, they just got beat. And our third and our other beater um, was just kind of like hanging back, helping out and stuff like that. It was a very strange experience because it was like they're all right by the hoops, but like they can't leave. Why can't they leave the keeper zone? And it was because, you know, the most dominant beating performance I'd ever seen in a single uh, in a single match. So um, that being said, you talked about like your own team creating doubt within you uh, and at the college level. And then you get to, you have to get to a point where you have to create your own team, you know, mm-hmm. to go and feel like you're actually having fun playing the sport that you love again. Uh, 
you got any tips on like how people can check themselves or like any advice for people who are in positions of leadership to learn how to police their team to make sure that an environment like that is not created because there's no way that the sport can improve or invite different types of athletes into Mm -hmm. play besides like the people who are like big, strong and fast or whatever. And there's definitely room for people who have different skill set. But like, do you have any advice for like the people who are in positions of leadership or even just regular players who can say something, speak up in, in place of somebody else who can't or won't speak up for themselves because of whatever reason. Yeah. So, and and I'll preface this by saying, I don't think I'm like guilt free by any means. I, I certainly have like been like, give the ball to your partner who's the male or like, Oh no. Or like this person's not doing well, pull them out. So I'm certainly guilty of that. I think what you said earlier about like not giving opportunities for people to fail is so real. And I think like culture of your team is so important. Something that I'm very, very passionate about is like not having people yell at refs because I think like if you yell at refs, that means you're like creating this like atmosphere where like you are never at fault and everyone else is at fault and if you can just be like, oh, my bad, like, then you can just, like, focus on the game, which is fun. So um, I know that one doesn't often stick, and I have to, like, <laughs> go and ask my teammates that. But that, that's one that I, I hold very personal to myself. Um, I think in terms – at least in terms of developing um, gender nonconforming beaters, give them the damn ball. Like, you know, like, at, at any point that – you're going up on offense, give them the ball. And they're going to probably at first, like maybe be hesitant to throw or whatever. And I think like, just like reestablishing, like you have just as much right to throw. Um, I think also practicing, like having, this is mostly beaters that I'm talking to, but having uh, practice being up top and behind and Mm -hmm. switching. And I think that, I think whoever is behind having them practice, like just talking, like one of the biggest things that I have people do when I like go to practice and stuff, I'm like, just talk, just be like, the sky is blue, the grass is green and talking is really awkward and just get used to talking as you're playing so that you get to the point where you're like communicating everything because I think your field awareness will just like increase exponentially if you speak. Mm -hmm. So. Oh, it's very simple. Uh, speak and uh, p- give people a chance. Wow, what a simple thing that is really no, difficult concept. for some people, right? Um, yeah. Really difficult for a lot of people. But uh, Leanne, we talked. We were going to talk about strat here, and you mentioned uh, the top bottom. Uh, so I'll start off here. There's like prevailing concepts of like how to align beaters, right? And this is like the mm-hmm. first time I think we talked about quitter strategy, other than like secret play with tiger earlier uh in like episode three or something like that but um beater strategy what Uh do you feel is what do you feel is going to help you win more defensive stops the top bottom strategy or the side-by-side island strategy when it comes to beaters and that and and that goes across the board with like with two or with one yeah um i i personally love a diagonal like if you imagine like the hands of a clock that's how you and your beater are aligned so if like your beater's at the top, you're right behind. But if your beater's like, um, <laughs> just gonna embarrass myself by not really knowing clock. If you're like at three, they should be at like seven or eight. You know, like I think like a diagonal strategy works. I think, I think just being aware of who you're playing. If you're playing against a team that thrives off ledger control, you like pack it in, and you're like maybe like the person who you think can win more beater battles. You put like following the the quaffle and the person. Um, 
who's better at like reactionary plays you put um off to the side at a diagonal angle but i don't think like front back stacked works and i don't think side by side stagnant works i think you need like a little bit of a diagonal a little bit of a push and pull um because it's going to move so fast so you need to be able to adjust Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. What do you What do you know? The answer is the something in between. It's never yeah. <laughs> the extremes. It's the one that's in between that seems to work out the best uh, when it's all said and done. But um, mm-hmm. and Leanne, when it comes to like training to be a beater, so much of it is mental for sure. But like, what mm-hmm. what have you done physically, like in terms of training, that has helped you um, develop the skills necessary? Like, I know um, you got a lot of bo- like a lot of body control goes into fencing for sure. Like no question mm-hmm. about that. It's all about precision of like where you sure. place yourself. But, um, like what, what has helped you in terms of like becoming a better beater in terms of physical training? Um, we, we do the gauntlet quite frequently where you put someone against a wall and you just throw balls at them kind of like, um, in mighty ducks when they're training the goalie and you just like hit them a bunch of times. Yeah. Um, um, I always go first, so I say it's not hazing. I'm like, you guys can throw as many things at me as you want. <laughs> um, we're not being, we're not just hazing you. Um, that's helpful. I think like getting good at turning and throwing like that motion yeah. can be really helpful because it helps you with the quick triggers. Um, Yeah, and uh, yeah, I think that. The, the, yeah, no, no, turning and throwing is like massive because uh, it help it can actually help you get wins in transition too, uh, in terms of like transition offense, and hopefully you've got a good relay with you and your team uh, with your teammate beater. Yeah. Uh, but how have you uh, as an individual? And I, so like, who would you consider to be the best partner that you've had, or like ever had, or like the partner that you've had the best chemistry with in your time of playing Quidditch? Yes, I'm doing a, a, a um, dangerous question. A dangerous question here. <laughs> can I pick two or no? Yeah, sure, sure. I'll I'll even I'll be I'll let you be nice and pick two. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> okay, so uh, I can't not say Mario, my dear dear Mario. Ah, the um, king. I think- uh- Mario we Nasta, just- drop it like it's hot. <laughs> Mario, drop it like it's hot. It's Nasta, so yeah. Drop it like it's hot. I think we just we just have a really good like relationship of like trust and respect where like um mid game I can be like I don't feel like you trust me or like mid game he can be like hey like I don't think we're gelling and we'll just like go off and have like a mature conversation about it and then come back and like play well um it's very convenient cuz a lot of people are like afraid to throw the ball at him so I so like I just get to hang and like clean up whatever like if he accidentally gets beat or I'm just like so it, I, I find that very enjoyable and people don't like really pay attention to me when I'm playing with Mario. So I can just kind of like do whatever I want, um, which is nice. Um, and then I, I really love playing with Kyle Gian. Um, yeah. He like when I was on the Titans, he was like my beater celeb. Who I was like, can you just tell me everything? And I just I, lo- I loved his style because he was like, just stand next to me. I'm like, yes, like this is what I want. <laughs> I just want to stand next to someone and have them like tell me where to go and what to do. Um, and he has such like underrated skills that it was like very also convenient because like, you know, as a female beater for a long time, people don't pay attention to you until like you have quote unquote a name. So like I could just like get away with like doing stuff after the boys did stuff and people right. would just be like, oh, no, what happened? Right, right, right. <laughs> No doubt. So, <clears throat> so Kyle Young and uh, Mario Nasta, both of those guys, like, if you don't know, very, very, very 
very good. Um, mm-hmm. How many, what is it? How many championships did they have? Like five or something between both of them, I think? Five or six or something like that. Because, uh, yeah, sorry. No, they got a lot of bling. That's all you need to know. So you need to know, yeah. uh, and and in terms of uh, in terms of like getting, you mentioned you wanted to talk about uh, on pitch beating when when it's snitch on pitch, uh, and how you had to like negotiate your way onto the pitch to make magic happen out there as well. And you mentioned actually, you mentioned it was really funny. You started off like seeking, which I think you very quickly learned is not fun. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people, like I don't think people understand just how not fun seeking is. It is exhausting um tiring and i mean it's borderline abuse if you got the wrong snitch so uh mm-hmm. and you're just trying to get that one moment of glory you're just trying to reach that one moment of like you you literally have victory in your hands but you know you got to get beat down a bunch of times which if that's not a metaphor for life i don't know what it is um <laughs> right. but yeah you talked about on, uh, on pitch beating why did you feel like it was so difficult for you to get on pitch? And then when you got on, what was something that like, what's something that you quickly realized that you could like tell to any beater that can help them when it comes to uh, on pitch beating? Like, what should they pay attention to? Cause there's like a billion and one things you can tell people to focus on. Right. And a lot of it centers around like what the score is at the time mm-hmm. and, and everything like that. Cause it's either on ball or on snitch. And a lot of teams are kind of adapting to being like, we got to figure out how to do both of these at the same time with two of you guys. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah. but yeah, what, what, what would you say is like the, the biggest hurdle for you getting on the field? And then what was the biggest lesson you learned once you got to do uh, on uh, pitch on snitch on pitch beating consistently? Yeah. I mean, if you look at the past, I don't know how many MLQ finals there have been. Um, this year might've been one of like two or three where the finals when snitch was on pitch, like our team didn't have two male beaters. Right. Like, like they, there is, you know, the, the top teams all do two male beaters when it comes to snitch on pitch. You could have the best female beaters in the world. Like I think Kylie McBride's incredible, but I don't know if she, she'd be, I don't think she'd beat on snitch on pitch. And like that, that's me, I think is the biggest issue. It's this idea of we want like speed and physicality um, above like, above all else um so luckily when i was in college like i was the captain and i um had the most experience so i was able to like seek or beat but like it was very rare that we would play teams who didn't have two male and i think that trend has continued onward i think in my first mlq finals it was like oh oh, we're going two male we're going two male in my next mlq finals going two male going two male and so on and so forth and um, it had to take a lot of being like, why aren't there female beaters when we're seeker beating? And why, like, what message do you send if you put a female beater out there and the second they do something wrong, ah, gotta go. Oh, I'm going to be replaced by what? All right, cool. Um, because I think similar to just any part of like beating, the best beaters make a billion and one mistakes because they don't have like their position in jeopardy. They don't have their playing time in jeopardy. I make mistakes all the time and I don't get pulled off because people have trusted me. Right. But I'm able to like, I have that flexibility of mind to be able to make those mistakes that other people don't because they make a mistake up. Knew we shouldn't have put a girl out there. 
And again, confidence is key. Confidence is key. And also just like not have, like when you're dealing with split second decisions, you don't want to be second guessing yourself, which is a lot of what secret meeting is. It's like you make a decision and it could be the worst decision in the world, but you need to figure out what the next step is regardless. And if you're worried about getting yanked or like if I do one thing wrong, like you're not going to be focused on the right things. So I think there's so many talented beaters that I know that I'm like, why aren't they secret beating? I think you just, you learn so much in secret beating. Um, obviously I think communication is key, but like knowing what to prioritize and when so many people just try and go for the double beats or like try and like look cool. And it's like, you just need to like, if the secret's near the snitch, you need to beat them at all costs. Even if you like lose blood control, even if like everything's a mess, like you save yourself 10 more seconds or 15 more seconds, you have another shot to go. No doubt. No. Uh, well, who would have thought? It's that simple. Stop the secret. Stop the guy who can end the game. Stop the person who can end the game. Uh, yeah, no, I, I like it a lot. And then, like you said before, like having that confidence when you're out there, like that your team is not just like over your shoulder while you're trying to make something happen. Because if there's any time where mistakes are not only plentiful, but also have like a high punishment in Quidditch, mm-hmm. it is snitch on pitch. Because like in chasing – one like one bad defensive rotation and it's a bucket like every single time because there's like well it I don't even think the two-hand tackling is going to stop it for some people but like the defensive rotations like sometimes for chasers when snitch on pitch happens they're also focused on like we got to get that goal back we got to get that goal back they forget to like hey man we don't have to get it back we can actually get ahead if we stop them like right now but right yeah yeah, so that would be fun no uh but (laughs) Leanne, I have to. I, before we get to the, the the last sad question, I feel like I've asked you a lot of sad questions, a lot no of worries, questions no about like the uh, like how women are held back in the game and non non male people are held back in the game. But um, sure. I'm going to ask you a question. There is only one right answer, and we'll see if okay. you get it. Okay. What is your favorite Harry Potter novel? Oh. Um. Mm, she's on the clock. Hopefully, we can get. There's, there Hopefully. is pressure. Um, I really loved. Gosh, I really did love the fourth one. When I was a kid, I loved the fifth one, but like as an adult, Harry Potter's mad whiny. So I'm like, I, I don't do that anymore. So your pick was the Goblet of Fire. Oh, the fourth. No, one I take was... that back. Mm. I. I, I actually, I actually, I, I don't think I've ever had a better book reading experience than the seventh book. I thought they did a really good job wrapping it all up. So I'm, I will stick with the seventh. Oh, that Final is not answer. the right answer, but mm-hmm. I will accept it because you made a good point about like how they did a lot of uh, wrapping up of people, people's emotional situations. Mm-hmm. Cause there's a lot of tension between the friends that never got addressed because they were busy trying to save the world. And they finally right. were able to do that. But the, the right answer was Goblet of Fire. Um, so, so close <laughs> so close yet so far so close yet so far mm. away Leanne. maybe next time um maybe that's next. two episodes in a row where people have not said goblet of fire i don't know what you know if anybody's out there listening i don't know what's going on with people reading the book and coming to the conclusion that like any book <laughs> other than the one with dragons and the most magic is the least cool one the not cool the not coolest one but hey we move on i digress maybe i'm childish maybe maybe leanne's more emotionally developed than i am she is like 100 um moving uh, moving on leanne uh one last one last sad question and then maybe maybe i'll think of a fun question to ask team usa selected 
a bunch of players to wear the Stars and Stripes. Um, you were one of the best players in the country. You were not selected. Would you um, care to educate me? Because my, my you know, not great Quidditch brain, I'm like, Leanne, yes, 100% should be on Team USA and should have gotten the gold. Uh, you were one of the alternates, right? Or am, I, uh, or am I mistaken on that one? No, I was. Gotcha. Yeah. So you, yeah, and you can tell the tone has already changed. I don't even know what the <laughs> question I want to ask is because honestly, it's like one of the things that pisses me off the most uh, in the past couple of years in Quidditch, uh, besides my own personal suspension that's going on right now. Uh, Leanne being robbed of being on Team USA is like a travesty uh, in and of itself. But Leanne... I know that was like really tough when it was all when it all came out and when it when it was all said and done, especially since you know why you weren't uh, selected for Team USA. But um, what did you feel like? What did you feel like held you back in the process of being selected for Team USA? If there was anything, because I don't really think there was. Uh, but yes, go ahead. Um. So first, I'll just say I think it was like it definitely was upsetting. I think upsetting and uplifting because like. I remember when the decisions were like being posted, there was a lot, a lot of support um, for me um, and like the comments and stuff. And like people were being very supportive and um, very sweet about it. So, you know, it was bittersweet. I think that was like one of those tough things where I was like, I don't think I didn't make it because of my skill. Um, I think I didn't make it because of politics, um, which is like, you know, an unfortunate um unfortunate like line to to dance um uh i can say that like i didn't make team usa for the same reason i made i didn't make um qcb the year before whatever which is that um i think like there was this there's this idea to, to to what um effect it was like true or not was that i was like a toxic person who like didn't play well with others and didn't um didn't mesh with teams and like I guess there was like a question at least from like the top about like chemistry um I remember when I tried out for Boston Night Riders the year after um Harry pulled me aside and was like I don't want any attitude and I was like I'm just here to hang and um that was kind of like a oh like this is like people's impression of me but I think there's something we said by the end of that summer, I was like an assistant coach helping out the beaters for that team and like had a, you know, like had a very good relationship. I, I will say that I think that, um, you know, when I, when I had experience um, with the leadership of Team USA, it wasn't very positive. I didn't always feel like it was a positive environment and maybe I, I, not maybe. I definitely reacted in a way that was immature. Um, I think there was a real frustration on my end where it felt like as a female beater, my role was to be in the back. Um, as a beater in general, like it didn't seem like there was a priority to like improve female beaters. Um, and, 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 you know, maybe that's, you know, their priorities are elsewhere, but, um, I don't think I've ever been one to be like, oh, like, this is cool. Like, this this feels right and sits with me. And I certainly wasn't quiet about it. And as a result, I didn't make Team USA. And um, a lot of people were angry on my behalf. A lot of people 
um, you know, say what they say. Like I, I certainly was not like a perfect individual coming out of college or being on Titans. Um, you don't have to be a perfect person to like just be the most skilled because like there are a lot as a dude who's never played like on the grand scale in like terms of like national stuff and can only speak about things that go on like in my region um Mm -hmm. there are plenty of people who have done far worse things than be like i don't want to be the back beater and like give like quote unquote give people attitude that i've done a lot worse in this sport and continue to like succeed and continue to be like held up like they're very high quality like high highly talented individuals and it's i've learned this a lot as a guy who works in sports and covers sports um when people want you to succeed you will like if you have this skill uh in some case even if you don't have the skill uh, and this is like not even quiz really this is just sports in general because you can look at <clears throat> you can look at stuff that goes on in the NBA and NFL on a regular basis and you're just wondering like why is that guy even on the field when there's somebody else like they'd be better off like trying to figure out what these other guys are capable of instead of having this one guy on the field right and it's because mm-hmm. like they want that person to succeed like they like yeah. so they're going to give them every opportunity to and the same thing happens on the polar opposite end of it uh, and I'm not saying that it's just it's just a thing where it's like this whole thing of like you need to be like a like a perfect little angel and you have to like have no marks on your record because it's like Mm -hmm. there's plenty of people who have reasons like if you want to talk about like team chemistry which has nothing to do with like how you are as a person it's about how you interact with other people and and, like interchange with them but um yeah like that whole concept of like you have to be a perfect person to like get other people's appreciation is not true um yeah i mean for, for for what it's worth like when the coaching decision was made, I was like, there's a 0% chance I'm making this team. So I wasn't surprised. <laughs> yeah, I got you. Nah, I just, uh, yeah. And that's my, and, and like I said, I, I mentioned to you when I was, when we were preparing for this podcast and I was just like, mm-hmm. intentionally not choosing the most skilled players that season, knowing what was on the line, going into nationals, and then seeing how that final shook out, where you know there it was a back and forth competition, like those last, it was a back and forth affair between uh, them and Belgium, and it was like a legit thing because like a lot of people who pay attention to the international scene, the other countries are catching up like really quickly, and. That's not, yeah. not, not even, the, I'm talking about like the ones who have been around for a long time, who've been around since the first world cup, they're catching up very quickly because they have the ability to watch. Um, and they have way more access to watching Cav, watching QC Boston, watching the Bosnian bear sharks, watching the Canadian teams than they ever have before. So like, not only is their strategy improving, but they're seeing mm-hmm. different type of player molds and how they can be utilized to make their team better. And they are, <clears throat> doing it like it's it's, one it's a beautiful thing to see that the game is developing like that because like hands down team USA still leading the way right in terms of like overall skill but to try and pretend like what you like if you paid attention to World Cup that final was not what we all expected to happen when it was not Australia in the final so um to try and you know Whatever the situation may be, and I can't speak on it because I wasn't in the room when the decisions were being made, nor am I qualified to be making talent assessment decisions. Uh, I'm just a dude that's talking to a microphone. But to not pick the Mm -hmm. best players available is 
detrimental in the long run. But hey, uh, we'll see what happens. There's a new round of selection going around, which means it is another chance for Lee and Dillman to rock those stars and stripes and, <laughs> uh, and get ready for this whole thing all over again. And I hope you continue to do it because they got to keep. I think at a certain point, if they keep having to try and tell you no, got to start asking questions why they keep saying no. Uh, some more people have to ask that question. Anyway, Leanne, thank you so much for coming on the show. And once, like, can I reiterate, like, thank you for, like, the brutal honesty, the critique of yourself, and then the honesty about just, like, how women are held back in the sport and giving some tips to the people. Hopefully everybody was paying attention and writing down in their notepad like they should be every episode because I'm here to learn. We're all here to make this. We're all here trying to make this sport better if it ever does come back, which every single day Mm -hmm. that passes by, I feel like it gets bleaker and bleaker. Uh, And yeah, anyway, I just wanted to say, uh, just wanted to say thank you for coming on the show. I know you got to go. You got a party to get to. Zoom party. Sorry, I didn't mean to put you out there. Like Zoom party to get to. Um, so yeah you you got some stuff to do i appreciate you coming on the show and thank you for you know making me smarter making me a better person and uh and hopefully i'll get to play against you at some point in the near future which could be 2025 it could be next year who knows uh but yeah thank you thank you so much and if you ever want to fly bosnia just let me know there we go no no doubt no doubt is there uh so by the way leanne tell the people where they tell the people all the places they that you want them to find you i've learned that that's the better way to phrase it is there like some some, something social media wise that you want to push or is there a merch website where you can like get these orders for the sweet bear sharks gear that everybody wants i'm sorry shark bear is it shark bear this year or is it bear shark still uh we have we have two logos if we want to take it seriously we wear our shark bear logos (laughs) <laughs> and kill vibes only and if we want to be chill it's bosnian bear sharks chill vibes only um they can go to bosnian bear sharks facebook page i'm pretty mediocre at responding so i'm sorry in advance but they can head out there <laughs> no doubt take these people's money for this dope logo by the way guys you gotta you gotta get one i got the fanny pack and i got yeah. the the bosnian flag from uh nationals a couple years ago they got dope t-shirts go out there and get it get that merch uh thank you for coming on the show leanne and uh i'll talk to you later appreciate it all right. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen. As Leanne Dillman, beater for the Bosnian Bear Sharks, had a tough conversation, I would say. Uh, Leanne, about some uh, some critiques of herself. And then, uh, of course, about how we can get better as a community. The other thing I would like to point out, uh, I don't know how this will affect the show, but I have like a job now. I work for Disney in terms of like producing and live streaming for sports, for live sports and everything like that. Don't know if it's going to affect the show. Uh, I doubt it will in the grand scheme of things. But uh, also, uh, if you are looking for some motivation to train, I suggest you join the Facebook group that I made called Quid Gains with a Z, with a Z because it's cooler with a Z. Uh, And people post about their workouts in there as well. Um, Make sure you're hydrating. It is the holiday season. And the number one thing I want to leave you with to make sure, because I've fallen into this trap myself, just because it's the holiday season doesn't mean you have to punish workout yourself. You don't have to go out here and try and make yourself feel bad for enjoying and living life, especially in the middle of a panorama. Do not have to uh, make yourself feel bad about eating, enjoying, and spending time with the limited amount of family that you're close to in your bubble. Or even if you're hanging out by yourself or you're hanging out with your friends, do not feel bad about eating that food, having a good time, drinking that eggnog. I've never understood the whole eggnog craze or anything like that. I feel like it's just another way to get between me and whiskey sometimes. But all that jazz, um, believe in yourself, 
work out, hydrate, get ready for a season that may or may not happen. Do it for yourself. Get yourself into a routine. So when the season does start, you'll be ready because there's nothing like trying to condition during a tournament. And it's a terrible idea because usually you wake up feeling like crap the next day and uh, you feel terrible for that entire week because you just have that soreness that won't go away. Uh, hit me up on Twitter if you ever want to find me at the Ashton J or at my sports account FB underscore playbook. Or you can hit me up on Facebook at Ashton Gene Lewis. If you got any questions, comments or anything about the show critiques please send all the compliments to leanne dillman and hopefully this episode will drop soon and until then i guess i have a good one i don't know it's harry potter marathon season so you know what to do you know what to do for your own for the betterment of the the world itself and uh, all of us out there watch all eight of the movies <laughs>